Welcome to Talking Events, and you join us for, for part two um, of a, a discussion that we're having about um, shaping venues and, and delivering events within either unusual venues or, or, the, or the shift that there has been in locating and sourcing an event site. Um, welcoming back to the podcast studio, uh, Tom Allen from True, True Staging. Tom, welcome back. Good afternoon. Uh, Matt Blood from Twickenham. Matt, good afternoon. Hello. Uh, Kevin Monks from Blackout. Kevin, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. Joining us on the line once again uh, from Mobile Promotions, Robin Carlisle. Robin, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. The studio itself is has, has been set up within one of the fabulous hospitality suites at Twickenham Stadium. Um, they've got superb on-site event facilities, and, and we should give a, a big thank you to them at the start of this episode for their hospitality and allowing Talking Events and Event Industry News to set up for a couple of days and record these episodes. So... Moving on from, from part one of our discussion last week, um, we're looking now at the demand for something a little bit different from agencies, from organisers, um, within venues. Um, how, much, how often are you asked, Kevin, I'll come to you first of all, how, much, how often are you asked for something different, either from a repeat client who comes back to you and says, look, we want something different to last year, or somebody saying, I want different to the, that event there? I'm not sure. Um, they don't come to us to ask for different, but they may take us to places that are different. From, right. from the nature of the business that we do, they may take us to venues that you wouldn't immediately think would be suitable for events that they're looking at, and, and we have to provide the infrastructure to try and transform that. So I think that you will go to more unusual places, I think, more than requiring to produce something different. What's the process like for you once uh, somebody said... taking your head out of your hands. You're you're taken to a site for the first time. What's the process for for, for you guys in particular to to say whether or not it's feasible? It's it's looking at what what they're requiring to do in there, whether we're breaking down the space into uh, different areas for them, if 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 they're looking at maybe a keynote presentation and some... A hospitality facility somewhere else, whether we're just practically putting in some cloakrooms. It's, it's a case of seeing what, what is in the venue. Do we need to bring in, um, can we rig into the venue? Can, do we have to install eye bolts? Are we putting ground support structures in? That's the kind of thing that we look at when we go in there, um, as well as the kind of practical elements of getting vehicles in. I mean, a lot of these venues, it's, it's location. People want the places to house the amount of people they need in, in the locations that mm. they want. And that's what I think also drives these particular unusual places. Tom, what, what's, what's different for you when, when you're working with a client that says, I want something different, what will that different be in your particular instance? Well, it, it, it might be augmenting what's already in the venue. So hopefully the venue is nearly what they want, because if it's not, then it, as, as was said, it's quite a big uh, challenge to transform it entirely. Um, so if it's almost there, then then it would be how can they use the same venue, different to the last people that used it, because uh, obviously they're in, being used every week. So they don't want to look just the same as the last show, and they and they want to get it on brand with what they're trying to deliver in in the space. So it would be augmenting what the venue's got uh, in a, in a new way. And and for yourself, Robin, what what would uh what would your response be to, to a client that comes in and says, look, I want something different, and what examples have you got of that? Ooh, um, I think much as the guys have already mentioned, although we also see from repeat clients particularly, you know, the demand for somewhere different, um, doing things like a car launch and a cathedral, 
sort of springs to mind as, as one we did uh, a, a while ago. Uh, that was pretty tricky, certainly getting the vehicle in, in and around. Um, but also staffing. I think that's that's something big for us, where um, you can transform the ultimate experience of the delegate or the guest or, or, or the staff member, depending on what type of event it is, mm-hmm. by the way they're managed and uh, the way they're touched and the whole touch and feely thing with the staff. You know, it comes down, yes, of course, to all the technologies uh, uh, around us and, and the guys have expressed the type of skills that um, they have. But I think it's also how, how people themselves are handled. You mentioned a cathedral in there, and perhaps that opens up another line of questioning in terms of working in sensitive venues. There's already a reaction here. Kevin, what's it like working within... Well, we use cathedral as an example, but presumably you've worked in settings that are sensitive and require a certain delicacy to be had when putting infrastructure in. I think you know, you're respectful to all venues that you go in, but some are particular. I mean, we, um, we work a lot at Somerset House, uh, which is obviously an old an old listed building and we build the cinema screen on the front of the building and we do the pop shows in there so and you have to be respectful for these places and you also have to be respectful for the the facilities the the facilities managers there'll be a protocol to follow so it's more about it's it's not just being respectful respect for the building it's also respect for the people within the building Tom, would you go along with that? Yeah, you, definitely you've worked agree. in similar sort of locations and mm. sensitive areas. Most definitely. And taking it to another level is uh, people's personal property. Because it seems that there's a, a good few houses in London that are now being rented out for events. So you've then got the owner wandering around and you know they're going to be very precious about everything. And of course, you, you give everything the, the respect it deserves. But it does, um, you know, if someone wants a, a floor-to-ceiling wall put up, it does throw up some problems as to well, how can you fix that in a in a Georgian townhouse? And uh, and people have to exp- that if you let that many people in building construction like that, there mm. will be somewhere in turn. Yeah. people have to accept that, and that's yeah. that's what can become difficult. You go from two people living in a in a house to hundred people visiting it in one night. <laughs> it's, it's gonna it's gonna show some scuffs, isn't and it? Is it is it driven by financials? Is it driven by the revenue that can be made within those those venues that they're willing to accept that sort of compromise? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, there is a good revenue stream. The, the the event space, particularly in London, there's lots of them popping up, um, and a lot of times people people are prepared to accept the revenue more than they're prepared to accept the wear and tear of the place. Mm, absolutely. Um, I, I'm interested now. That from a marketing point of view, Matt, mm. we talked about different what, what different is to these guys. Um, you will have repeat clients, you'll, but you'll also have guys coming to you for the first time, and they're coming mm. to you for the first time perhaps because they want that that different um, element there. But as ultimately a sporting venue and something that is synonymous mm. with high-level sport, yep. how difficult is it to market <coughs> somewhere like Twickenham and actually get across a message to people that there are event spaces here and it's not just a sporting stadium? That end part of the question is actually quite difficult in targeting. Uh, I suppose in targeting new business. If they're not already aware, then it's it's making sure for me to identify who who those likely targets or are most likely to come here. But in terms of after something new, once they're they're here, and, and how we can then I suppose case study to to go out and attract new business. Um, we're in the lucky position really that. Um, the RFU in Twickenham Stadium, it's an international stadium, but it, it's not one thing. I think it's the idea around competitive and competitiveness, whether it's, the, again, back to the core values, which I think I mentioned in a previous conversation, where it's teamwork, respect, discipline, um, 
sportsmanship, etc. It's it's an idea, and they can work around it and come up with something which isn't just pigeonholed again into into a, a sporting related events because it's a sporting venue. It can be something completely different, um, and again, it, it kind of comes back to the creative teams to help us deliver that. Um, in terms of marketing to that, um, uh, whether it's uh, again case studying is is a massive part of that, and it's really um, thankful that we've had some great events where they've used the venue to its absolute capacity. Um, an example again is, is one which uh, <laughs> oh, well, we have some system checks done here. I think so. Um, but it's you know using the venue to capacity, which we can then take out and, and use it just as an example, even as a springboard for other events to say you're not tied to doing one thing here. This is this is a, a small s scale shot of what you can actually achieve here. And then really it's just basing the ideas around uh, you know the the other parts of the, those values and can we can we resonate other messages then yes we can it's, it's 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 not one thing we wouldn't be pigeonholed into it being that sporting sporting venue and events they're there because it, it is a sports venue mm. well, we touched in, in in the first conversation that we had on this subject about um working alongside and with other suppliers and, and t sort of, uh, there was a, an inference towards taking the, the advice and the expertise from the suppliers that are coming in and helping a venue like twickenham but d d robin um tom and and, and kevin how uh, are we better now as an industry and as suppliers in working with other suppliers to to not just source business but to, to develop our, our ideas when it comes to transforming venues? For me, absolutely, 100%. I think as an industry, events came of age quite some time ago. Um, I'm not sure of the stats. You know, media guys like yourself may know, but I think we're pushing hard into what's been traditional or for a guy of my age, what I've seen as traditional greater spend in above the line, you know, the, the, that spend's, I think, fallen back and a lot of it is tipped into events. And it's a recognition of the strength of brands being able to touch people and people being able to interact with people. And uh, for me, that's another driver of, of you know, budgets, the intrigue in events and venues as well. Tom, are, are you better as a, as a company, uh, at working with other suppliers and, and taking their expertise on board? I think so, yeah. I think the, the DWG is is just the the holy grail of our industry at the moment. And um, just by flicking drawings around, you can communicate so much. Um, if they're 3D, you can com communicate even more. Um, so from that visual that comes from the client, which again is a drawing, um, we can then, Kevin and I, or similar contractors, talk about how we're going to develop, develop and... Uh, deliver what they're looking at in, in a visualization sense and how that's actually going to go together. And I, and I think the use of the DWG is uh, any AutoCAD format has, has improved massively. Mm. I mean, I remember kind of when AutoCAD first appeared, you'd be turning up to jobs and there'd be four different drawings because there'd be four different companies that had, that had all drawn their bit and they'd all have different dimensions and there'd be this kind of, well, that's my drawing. Mm. Why is your drawing different? Whereas I think the discipline in that has improved now because I think people have have been in that situation too many times before that, that it doesn't tend to happen these and maybe days. Maybe latched on to technologies like the cloud where you can just store drawings. Yeah. Everyone can draw on it from, from one source and, and you've got the master that you all uh, are looking to. Yeah, that's also, I mean, as good as it is, it can also be very difficult as well when you, when you kind mm. of do, especially with things on Dropbox, I mean, you suddenly go back to them a week later and think, this is all different. <laughs> when did that change? <laughs> 
a blessing and a curse then that, yeah, that but we like can share this information but I think the discipline is getting better so people are now aware of it and people don't you know people tend to cross reference and tend to speak to people and also like everyone's ability with the, with the software has got better as well I think venues are keeping up with it as well aren't they with the with the DWG and, and actually being able to supply yeah. the DWG at an early stage and then you're starting with an accurate I mean, drawing it wasn't many years ago you could barely get a D -D DWG <laughs> for most venues <laughs> yeah. in London and I was about to ask a question if you don't mind it's from a venue perspective I mean what is the future for for that what helps you in that, that early process and, and what's the next step because I mean ultimately it's that's what convinces the top end clients that the event's going to work here and we need to make sure that that you know is a, yeah, is I a, I suppose a painful process yeah on the subject of being able to, to deliver really sort of um, good visualizations of references even before the event's taken place, what would suppliers need or what do suppliers need from the venues themselves in order to be able to deliver that in the first instance in terms of schematics, layouts, anything that's in-house? What could venues do to improve what they're giving you in the first instance to be able to then deliver those? The best quality AutoCAD file they've got. Yeah, with all the points with, on it. And yeah, with all the references yeah. checked and double-checked. And where, where would a venue go to, to source that if they if they I think know a lot, I mean a lot of them exist I mean there's companies go around that specialists will survey venues but I mean it's it's it normally gets discovered through trial and error people will turn up and say this is slightly different and yeah and I think in the past they people have been reluctant to do that because then it puts the emphasis on the event organizer to make sure they've got their dimensions correct but I think now most especially with venues being um, modernized the actual architecture drawings exist now so there's just that's that's the key to it is getting the drawing correct and and, and is that um is that more or less difficult going back to some of these older or more sensitive venues you know yeah. is it is it is it very much a sim simple case that if it's a newer building you're going to have all that stuff available if it's an older building you have to manually source it and put it all together yeah you can do you can go in there and, you know we'll, we'll go in and do site surveys ourselves there's, like i say the specialist companies that will go in and do it um, so it's 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 an easy process to do, but it is a key process. It has to be done right at the start. If it's not done right at the start, it can uh, cause lots of problems. Mm -hmm. I've been involved in jobs with American clients that have struggled with scaling, struggled with feet, um, feet and inches to meters, and and they turned up with a third more of the venue than they require because they didn't get the scaling right on their drawing. Mm. Robin, I, I sense that you are a man of experience within this industry. Um, what, what, what are your sort of experiences and views on, on, on how uh, the information that is provided by venues and by locations in the first instance has, has, has helped the work that you guys do? Has, you've presumably seen quite a dramatic shift in that in your career. Well, I think, number one, as the guys have said, accuracy of information is, is absolutely paramount. And it's, it's shock, shocking how, how, how much of that is not respected by some locations and uh, at the same time I think availability of the venue for site in site survey and site inspection very often that has to be done quite quickly because we're all pushed to get the budget uh, together quite quickly very often to get the designs drawn up and, and and hacked around before they're submitted so you know time is short for us all and it, it, it shocks my team here sometimes how, how difficult it is to get a venue to even accept a a site survey meeting in some cases it's, um, uh, two, two, two areas that are absolutely 100% key to everything I, I'm keen to give to give everybody here a chance to, to I suppose give themselves a, a little bit of a, a, a plug um, and so I'm going to come to each of you individually and, and 
if you've got an example of, of something recent that uh, that you've done or a really good case study of an event that you think, look, we're really, really proud of what we did there. There were, the cha there were some challenges. There were things that we were creative with and uh, things that we really helped to, deli to deliver to transform that space. Um, where shall we start with this one? Kevin, happy to, to take the baton with this yeah, one and, can and give us an example. I suppose I touched upon earlier, I suppose the, the work that we do at Somerset House, building the cinema screen in that courtyard, mm. turning what is essentially a, a listed building courtyard into probably one of the premier outdoor, uh, outdoor cinema experiences in London. Uh, and that and that is in a we've done that for 11 years now it's it's changed in the way in which we've done it um but it, it's 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 a big structure that we build it's 25 meters tall it goes down four floors into the basement it projects out into the courtyard by 15 meters and um we crane in a screen that's about 18 meters by eight meters so i mean it's a it's an incredible structure in a space that you wouldn't normally expect to do something like that in and, and you say you've been doing that for 11 years. How, what elements have, have, have developed or become easier to manage over that, that time we, scale? When we first went in there, the Somerset House was, was in the process of being renovated. It was almost derelict when we first went in. The, the first year that we did it, there weren't even any floorboards in the, the first floor where we accessed onto the first floor portico. Um, that then subsequently had money spent on it. The Olympics, um, it was used during the Olympics, which meant during that Olympic year we had to change the method in which we install the screen uh, which is when we went to the to the current plan that we have um, so and, and it has stuck because the venue now can't afford to give up the space that we require on the first floor right. so it's all external now Robin um, let, let, let's uh, let's go over to you now any uh, any examples that you would like to reference for us I think um, the one that sticks out in my mind from certainly the last 12 months is actually where our team came together to stage a sort of multiple multiple location brand experience for a client um, built around the Belgium Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the locations ranged from the hotel in London, the meeting point, Eurostar as our transport means, um, a building in Belgium, which we, we, we was, was, was was part converted for what we want to do with it, but we had to do lay on a number of activities and circumstances there. The F1 race itself in Belgium, and then on to a hotel in Luxembourg and back again, and even the means of transport on on the road. So, I think one of the things, if I may plug us a bit, we are very good at is is stitching together a whole range of locations and activities, and making it one holistic um, journey. Tom, over to you. Yeah, so w one of the um, the bigger projects that I run, we used to, it, it ties in with the fashion weeks, and um, it's the biggest transformation of a space, I would say. Uh, you start from uh, a tent, and you end up with an, an event space um, that is soft and tactile and inviting to the guest. Um, and that's taken several forms over the years um, with tiered seating and flat surfaces, depending on what the sort of style they're going for. Um, it's interesting when you've got a big open space, it's, it's sometimes nice on the entrance to funnel people through so that as you come through, you can then see the grand, the grandeur of what you're then going into, you know, or, or the reveal, if you like. Um, so that's been a, a, an interesting project for us in terms of uh, a lot of, um, additional elements into a very plain structure um, 
and similarly in intents uh, things like the taste of london festival we've mm, we yeah. work with um, a number of companies one of which lauren perrier uh, last year um created a nice sort of lounge feel on the on a sort of terrace type um structure and then back behind that you had more of a vip section with the tastings so it created the two environments within the one space really using uh, what they had and that you know in a festival with the uh, space is precious so um really used what they what they could get to the greatest advantage for the for the Let, let, let's get some. If you if you guys have got got photos of, of these examples that you've given us today, then get them to us and, and we'll, we'll tweet them out via the talking events so that people can actually see about some of the events that, that, that you've referenced. Matt, I'm going to give you two bites of the cherry, and I think that's only fair, <laughs> g given the scale of, of of the spaces that are available here and, and and the spectrum that they could potentially cover. Mm. If someone came to you and said, "Look, pick two, pick two, where you've taken a step back and you've gone, that's why we're here. That's why we have these spaces available." Uh, let's see then. One of the <coughs> most satisfying, I suppose, where you're exhausting um, from, from very early on in the process to even post-event. If you use the example of one of the big four accountancy firms where um, decided to come here, made, made the most of the messaging around their, what their core messages were at the event uh, itself. So seeing that process beforehand and, and the contents that they've, and the, the videos that they've created and drawing people from in, because it's a national event, so they're drawing everybody from all their offices around the UK to then using our main conference facilities where, <coughs> again, it, it's more of a, I suppose, a thank you to the, the creative industries who've built the sets and staging around this, but very large staging, numbers of, of roughly, let's say 900 on uh, day one of the event, 700 on the second day, but it's a center stage, which is an unusual idea anyway, so. Th in the round. In the round's correct. So you've got to be um, talking about an event where the, uh, the the, the company themselves are, are obviously comfortable presenting with their backs to people turning. It's a very, obviously, very different technique to, uh, to normal. You're then having individual breakouts where they're themed, their own individual sets, staging in each of these areas, so mm. the sub-brands and the, and the ideas. So it's exciting just, just from our point of view to see the movements, the efficiency of how we move people around the building to then the quality of the food, how we've delivered that. Um, our staff, in terms of changing around of rooms, um, but then how they've used the venue after the main day of the event. So what you have is a, is a very business-driven messaging through the daytime of the event where it's, it's all very, as I say, modern conference center-led, but then they've got a, a three-level club almost within our, our West Stand. So there's theater added to how these guests then walk back into the venue as players mm -hmm. would enter or as royalty would enter um, into a completely, um, it is almost a three-level club where you've got chill-out areas, dance areas, it's, it's um, almost a second venue, the way that they've used it to the daytime. Um, what they also did then was sit. So day one of the event, um, they combined the second day's people. They arrived for a late um, for this party as well. They had a uh, almost a pitch side stage, which then utilized the large LED screens that you use on match days, the LED ribbons. The whole, whole national um, managing partners of this business function were in a, effectively a choir, which was... Um, which is led by interactive input as to what they should be singing. So it, it's drawing every element of what we can physically achieve really around the venue, which is then the life cycle of the event. You've seen this content delivered post-event as to what that legacy is and really why you would choose a venue like us over a, I suppose, over a, a hotel brand or something like that. Um, 
I mean, does that answer the first question on one of them? Is that too long, maybe? Absolutely. No, no, no. Absolutely. And, and so this, is, this was an accounting firm, as you said, and, and, yeah. uh, uh, and specific to them. Another example, something that perhaps is at the, the other end of the, the other spectrum or something totally different. I suppose the other end of the scale for us is seeing uh, things like um, exhibitions work and, and function properly. So there's a defence exhibition which has taken place here for the last two years in December time where I say defence, it's based around um, drone technology effectively. Um, and it's proving that we can, we can work in that, that world as well. So effectively you're you're still giving people the, the taste of what the RFU and what Twickenham Stadium is, but at, at what is a very traditional format, which is a defence exhibition. You're coming in, talking to your clients, and, and we're doing it very successfully, but still being, still being able to open up what the RFU is, and whether that's um, through use of speakers, through getting them into um, the changing rooms, tours of the, uh, the museum, it, it, it adds another layer of... Um, of insight as to why they're at this yeah, venue, yeah. Uh, as opposed to going to a standard, um, standard brand, albeit a, a you know a hotel venue. You, you mentioned in your first example that the idea of, of that particular client actually changing and transforming halfway through mm. their actual event. Yeah. Um, other guys uh, in the studio and, and Robin on the line. Um, I I examples. Uh, have we now got examples of, of that happening elsewhere as well, where clients are actually wanting to change a venue midway through the event itself and actually shift things? So it's not just building one particular event venue; it's shifting it midway through and transforming. Mm. That's fairly common for lots of things, uh, particularly in the conference side of things, when you're changing in from a keynote plenary into uh, probably an evening gala dinner. Uh, it's kind of it's quite common for uh, for what we do to get involved in those kind of things, and and, and I suppose in its, in essence that could be a simple process. But are people wanting to dynamically really go quite advanced in terms of the spectrum between the daytime and the nighttime, and how that changes visually? Yeah, they can do. I mean, again, it's back to the budget word. It depends how much money they want to spend on it. I mean, but there are there are um, there are simple sort of techniques that we can use. We can you know, we, we've got tracking systems that can deploy different types of drapes, that kind of thing, and, and it's it's kind of fairly standard. A lot of it's more to do with the kind of practical layout of the room, mm -hmm. down yeah. to the catering company, and changing the, the, the turnaround time as well. And the turnaround there's only time. so much you can do. Yeah, I suppose, if suppose anything is possible, isn't it? With, mm. with budget, but time is is perhaps the bigger constraint sometimes. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Robin, what you your you mentioned um, in the example that you gave of delivering it over a number of different sites and doing it on a mobile basis, but in terms of working in a static location, but but transforming something, is that something that you guys have uh, have done? Uh, yes, we have um, quite a bit more of that going on for, for us over recent years, and uh, I agree with the guys in your studio. You know, seeing quite a lot now of. Um, for instance, uh, an, an event being set up for, say, three, four, five hundred distributors in the afternoon that then becomes a, a staff activity uh, in, the, in the early evening. Same venue, same, same circumstances, but a transformation in many respects from one type of delivery star to another. Uh, I'm pleased that we've got, got quite a broad example of, of examples when we've given the guys um, who are our guests today the, the, the chance to talk about some of the projects that they've been involved in. Um, as we look to wrap up the second part of this particular discussion, um, I'm going to come to Tom first and then Kevin and then Robin and we'll finish with Matt and find out what venues could be doing differently, a bit better to help with the supply point of view. 
Um, is there any advice that you could give to venues or to organisers looking to, to source venues, Tom? Um, tricky one. The uh, organisers looking to source venues, it's, um, I mean, they do a good job, it's, but it's, it's about, I guess it's the uh, making sure it's the right venue for you, which is something that um, Matt said, you know, essentially if you're looking for, for something, you need to make sure it's, it's the correct place and, uh, and that you don't have to do too much to it unless you want to start with a completely blank canvas. Um, and from the venue side, um, providing the DWGs, the site visits are all really important. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be really helpful in old venues as well, where potentially walls are wonky and you know, it's <laughs> not so easy to, to know exactly how big things are going to be. Um, yeah. It's a difficult question, really. It is, it? yeah. It's I think double. you're right with the key, with the information has to be key, but... It's um and it, and it it all varies from venue to venue. It's it, it's a, it's a staffing thing. It's how people uh, approach you as a supplier. There are there are some venues that are great, got good relationships with the people. There are other venues that that maybe um, don't welcome you as much, I suppose. But I suppose to to anyone, it's just if if we're respectful to your venue, you can you should be respectful to us coming in. Absolutely. Robin, um, any thoughts or, or what you'd like to see from a venue point of view or, or in terms of the work that you do, stuff that you would like to see happen a little bit better? I think firstly, um, from seeing what uh, some in our industry do, I think it's a case of just stop the bus for a minute and think a bit more carefully about the brief and if you have to push back to the client and you know be bold enough to do so. And I know the guys you've got there, uh, their reputations as such, I'm sure they're doing that quite, quite, quite regularly. But I come back from a venue perspective to what I said earlier that um, it's amazing how many venues, uh, as you guys just touched on, you know, make it actually quite difficult to have a meeting or even you know have any sort of site viewing uh, at your convenience rather than theirs. That's pretty. That's pretty key. And accuracy of information. That's um, those two things there, as far as I'm concerned, is what it's all about. Bringing it full circle, then back to Matt. At Twickenham, what are you guys doing at the moment? What's the what's the big push, or, or how are you developing the venue, uh, both uh, from a, a marketing point of view and your communication with people, but also mm. as a venue itself? Are you doing anything internally to the infrastructure to what you're offering on site in order to continue delivering and developing your offering? In a bit of a state of flux, if we're, we're honest, there are developments um, starting from the marketing side. It, it's going all the way from hopefully from from new websites which trigger technologies to how we will present in the future um, but at the moment that's taking in other teams within in the RFU for example so uh, the ultimate aim will be to to make it easier and more uh, natural to present um, to end clients I suppose that will also take into account creative guys um, and, and presenting to teams of, of what we can achieve and help them do but in terms of our operationals then it, it's really just um, being very very tight in terms of going from from stage managing site visits from from technical site visits all the way through then we aim to really keep as tight as I hope we are at the moment and feedback is generally pretty good on that but I, I can understand where that that view of, of not everybody gets it correct um, it is difficult for obviously event coordinators and event managers to fit into their diary um, the, the, the number of planning meetings which might need to happen for certain mm. size events so it is always a um, an ongoing, I suppose, time constraint. But um, we're hiring more people. The team is expanding. We aim to just keep getting more professional as we move forward. And and that's whether it's technologies that we that we deploy, the teams, the training, um, 
we feel we're punching at the right level at the moment. The aim is to, to punch above our, our weight as we move forward and gain more and more clients. So, um, and again, if there's any other <laughs> recommendations of what we should be doing above and beyond, um, but feedback at the moment is good, but we aim to keep, keep getting better. Fabulous. We're, we're going to wrap up part two of this particular discussion and thank our guests, um, Tom Allen from True Staging. Thank you very much for joining the, uh, the podcast again. Thanks for having me. Matt Blood from Twickenham, thank you very much for being on the podcast and for your hospitality and uh, having us set up here for a couple of days. No problem. Kevin Monks from Blackout. Kevin, thank you for joining the podcast and been on the last couple of episodes. Pleasure. And joining us on the line again has been Robin Carlisle from Mobile Promotions. Robin, thanks very much for your input on the episode today. Been a pleasure, thank you. As I said, we're going to try and get some, some pictures and some images from the guys here that reference and, and highlight the examples that they've talked about in today's episode and last week's episode. And we'll get those tweeted out via at Talking Events. You can watch a video of this particular episode and last week's episode via the Event Industry News YouTube channel and on eventindustrynews.co.uk. You can also subscribe via iTunes. For now, you've been listening to Talking Events.